I render grace and peace to you in the name of God, our Father, and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Ah, yes, it's a joy to be here today. Um, I was encouraged today to uh, see one of my coworkers, uh, which I won't front her out, but uh, which also means I can't wear the same shirt to work tomorrow. So, <laughs> so but um, anyway, let us pray and then turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2 and then stand for the reading of God's word. But first, let us pray. Father, we, we need you. We need you even now to hear clearly from your word. Father, we know that we need spiritual eyes in order to see your word. Would you grant that to us even now? Please be with us. Please encourage our minds and our hearts. Please give us peace which surpasses all understanding. Let those in here today who do not know you know that they are at war with you and they need the peace. And so, Lord, would you please fill us with your spirit and with wisdom and help us to see clearly the beauty of your word. In Christ's name, amen. Stand with me now. Let us read God's word from 1 John chapter 2, and verses 7 through 14. If you have found it in your Bibles, say amen. amen. If you need a second, say hold up. <laughs> it should be on page 1021 of your pew Bibles, 1021. If you don't have a copy of God's word, uh, we invite you to take the Bible that is underneath your seat as a gift to us, a gift to you from us. First John chapter two, verses seven through 14. And God's word reads this. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. You may be seated. This is the reading of God's word. What we do here at Temple Hills Baptist Church is expositional preaching. 
And so it's when we take a text of God's word and we go verse by verse. We do that so that there is something contrary that we are saying to God's word. Is there something contrary to God's word? You should be able to pull us. Well, if it's outright heresy, yank me off this platform up here. But also, it's for us to all learn and grow in God's word and be able to ask questions and engage with the word so that we, that we learn. 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 14. The chilling words she said to me still rings loudly in my mind and in my heart. Brother, you need to live the gospel. My girlfriend, who's now my wife, and I had been arguing. I had just finished telling her how she needed to learn the correct gospel. Correct meaning learning the way I say it. Correct meaning it needs to be said exactly in the manner in which I say it. Her rebuttal came back as if to say, the gospel you say you believe? Brother, you need to live. Heaven forbid I actually expect you to live what you proclaim. You don't expect someone to say they are a professional football player and not play football. You don't expect someone to say they are a teacher and not teach. You proclaim this, but is it evident in your life? This had been the second time I had been challenged. The first was by a brother asking me what I believe, and I couldn't tell him. And now, a year later, being exhorted to live what I proclaim. I don't think we take time to actually think about living to the best of our abilities the professions that we make. We may say we believe in God, but live like an atheist. But technically, which scripture tells us, we know, all of us in here, in this room today, know that there is a God. We just attempt to suppress truth. At the time, my pride, in my pride, I did not know, nor could I tell her, hey, I may know these facts about God, but I didn't know what it meant to live the gospel. I didn't know what it meant to live as a Christian. I didn't know how to live the new commandment, and this rings true for a lot of people today. In fact, there are so many people who go to church on Sunday, yet the display of Christ, the proclamation of who he is and love in our lives, unfortunately, is not seen. In some minds, we are known more for who we are telling folks who and who not to vote for rather than displaying the love of Christ. There may be someone here today who doesn't know or understand what or how to live the new commandment. 
And this is where we find ourselves today. How do we, as believers, live out the new commandment so that we are obedient to Christ? And John answers this in three ways. He does this first by defining, for those of you who have taken notes, by defining the commandment, verses 7 through 8. By demonstrating the commandment, verses 9 through 11. And by directing the commandment in verses 12 through 14. Defining the commandment, demonstrating the commandment, and directing the commandment. And let us pick up now with verse 7. Verse 7 begins like this. Beloved. In other words, dearly loved, prized, valued. Followers or apprentices of Jesus Christ are dearly loved. If you are a believer in here today in the Lord Jesus Christ, God loves you. He values you. Your life is valuable. You have purpose. You have meaning found in him. This is a a pastor speaking to the flock. He goes on to say, I am writing you. This is straight from the Apostle John. And what I am writing you is no new commandment. It isn't something that I just suddenly came up with. It isn't foreign. It isn't something, you know, unknown to you. It isn't new revelation. In fact, he says, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. John is reminding them of something that they had, something that they should be aware of. You already have it. This is an old commandment, old in the sense of going back to the time of Moses, a seasoned word. John would have heard it from Jesus while in the synagogue and throughout his ministry because this word has been in existence. You have had it from the beginning. Beginning here is a reference to time. Like when they first became believers, there is consistency and expansion in understanding. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. The message you have heard. Pay attention now to the word old. In our society, if something is old, we tend not to place a lot of value or importance on. We always want that new new, that new car. We love that new car smell. We want that new baby, not that old, that, that grown teenager. It's one thing not to place value on who won the NBA championship five years ago, right? But in our society, sadly, some don't place a lot of value on those who are older in age and in their life experience. Not only that, as people, we grow older, but many don't value old messages as well, and we forget them. For example, we can hear a sermon and within the next hour forget what the sermon was about. And a sermon two weeks ago may be out of the question. Old messages 
are easy to forget. But also, a lot of folks will say old messages are out of step with the culture. They are out of step with the world and the times. Here's one, the Bible is old and outdated. It needs revisions. But guess what? Truth doesn't change. People change, truth doesn't. It is accurate. It's been accurate for years and remains relevant. Have you thought, have you thought about a lot of old messages are said today just in different ways? He moves on, verse eight. At the same time, on the other hand, it is a new commandment I, that I am writing to you. This is the first time John is writing to this audience about this commandment. So far, he's been addressing false teachers and had Jewish followers. If what John is saying here is a break with the Old Testament, that, then it would confirm that his teachings is actually false and Jesus is not the Messiah. It is a new commandment which is true in him and in you. It is factual. It is valid. This commandment is without error. It is true in him, in Christ, in the Messiah, and in you. Have you noticed? He has still yet to say what the commandment is. It's old. They have heard it before. And if we skip ahead, we find out what the commandment is. Go one chapter chapter over to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 23. John says, all right, family, you ready? This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. That's it. An oldie but goodie. Believe in Jesus. Love others. We make it so much more complicated. Believe in Jesus, love others. It dates back to the Torah. This is the governing commandment for the Christian life. He received this commandment from Jesus. Where, you might ask, Jesus said in Matthew tw chapter 22, verses 37 through 38. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. John says, it is new because I'm saying it to you. But it is old because it is found in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. What does it say there? You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Family, if love is present in your life, then all the other commandments fall into place. This commandment is true in him and in you. How? Go back to verse 8 in 1 John. Verse 8 says, because the darkness is passing away. Darkness is associated with that which is at enmity with God, the world and its sinful desires. 
It is passing away. It is going out of existence. Darkness has a time limit. Evil has a time limit. Sin has a time limit. This present evil age is coming to an end. It won't last forever. He goes on to say, and the true light is already shining. The light of Christ's love is showing. It's on display. It's shining brightly. It's shining like white diamonds. The truth of love has been made known in Christ and in you if you are a follower of Christ. The time has come. It is a reality already at work. You can know true love. You can know true love. How? This week. Reflect, remember, and be encouraged that darkness is passing away. This week. Remember, darkness is passing away. When you are tempted this week with doubt, depression, anger towards someone or something Because of your circumstances, remember the light of Christ is shining and darkness is passing away. I like to tell folks all the time, it will be okay. The Lord will help you to figure it out. Sin is so ever-present, yet there is someone who loves you if you submit your life in complete devotion to him. The light is already shining, evil is passing away. Christ's love has been, is, and forever will be victorious. The new commandment has been defined in verse seven and eight. Now let us look at demonstrating the commandment in verses nine through 11. This is where it gets real juicy. For the one who makes claims about identifying with the light, You say you identify with the light. You say you believe in Jesus. Here's how it's demonstrated. All throughout 1 John, we have seen the language of either if we say or whoever says. False teachers would make claims about Christ, and here's how we can attempt to determine whether what we are saying is true. Verse 9. Verse 9 says, whoever says he is in the light or the one who makes claims that he is in the light. Now, remember, John has said God is light. The true light is shining. Jesus has said, I am the light of the world. Whoever says he or she is in Christ, in fellowship with Christ and fellow believers and hates have a detest, a disdain, not just an occasional outburst, but an attitude becoming a habit. I mean, somebody that, that you really can't stand, that you really turn your nose up at, that when you see them coming, you walk the other way. Not doing what is in the best interest of others, speaking or acting evil. Hatred is not primarily expressed 
in emotions, but also in actions. Now, when we think of hatred, we think primarily of saying, I hate this or that person or murder. But the root of hatred is pride and selfishness. We think more about what's better for us than the other person. I was tempted with that this week. It's like, hmm, I don't think I love, do I love myself enough? Meanwhile, I'm getting up early going to the gym. Apparently I care about myself enough to go to the gym. We think more about what's better for us than other people. How do we show hatred toward others? Well, get online and look at social media. We talk bad about others, cursing other people out, ignoring their needs. The list can go on and on. Hatred. Hates who? John says his brother. Now, let's pause for a moment. We probably think this speaks directly to the Christian brothers and sisters. And it does. However, the word is also used in the Greek to refer to one's biological brother or sister. The meaning of the word encompasses people in general. If you proclaim you are in the light, yet hate your brother, hate anyone, guess what? You are still in darkness. False teachers were making claims back then to be in the light, yet still hating his or her brother and sister. Hatred was acceptable to the false teachers. They believed, yes, I'm in the light. I believe in Jesus, yet I can't stand to be around so-and-so. Speaking evil against people. And John says here, you better examine yourself. Why? Because you still may be in darkness. How have you and I demonstrated hatred toward others this past week? How have you and I demonstrated hatred towards others this past week? Did you cut someone off in traffic? Did you talk about someone bad online, especially that you don't know? How have we demonstrated hatred this week? Verse 10, whoever loves his brother, that is the one who demonstrates, who is characterized constantly and consistently showing love. It is more than a feeling, it is a commitment. Love refers to the self-sacrificial embodiment for the betterment of others. Love is the key. Love sends a powerful message. It isn't doing everything that you say or having everyone agree with you on everything and what you feel is right. It is serving. It is pointing you to Christ. It is doing and saying what is best for the moment. It is pointing to godliness. What impact we would make if our lives were characterized by love this week? Or have our lives been marked by self-promotion and selfish gain? 
When you love others, John says, you abide in the light. That is, you stay in the light. The more you love others, the more you are displaying the light. You are showing that the light is in you. The mark of the Christian is not demonstrating how much theology you know, but by demonstrating how much love you show. And John finishes with this. And in him, there is no cause for stumbling. There's no cause. There's no reason for failing. Why? Light has illuminated the pathway. You can see what lies ahead. A habit of loving others illuminates the pathway. Many believe this is a reference to heaven. That the road to heaven is love. Love God and love neighbor, which is a summary of the Ten Commandments that we read earlier, which is a Summary of the 613 commandments in the Old Testament. When you live in conformity to Christ and the gospel, Christ will give you the strength to reach beyond yourself because loving others is hard. That should have got an amen from everyone. <laughs> Love is hard, especially when they've wronged you. And guess what? We can't do it on our own. Only Jesus can show you what true love is and what true love does. This world has its own definition of love, but Christ will show you what true love is and what it does. Because he is love. He is the embodiment of love. And he has been tested tried, refined over time, when we love someone we don't wish to love. You ever thought about, you ever thought to yourself, why over and over in the word, the Lord is reminding us of love. You need to love, 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 love. You ever thought about that? Because hatred is easy. I'm so done with this person. But let me, let me get it to more culturally appropriate terms. Cancel culture. Unforgiveness culture. That should be so far from the Christian. Because when you hate, you are showing you are in darkness. Verse 11. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness. <laughs> it's simple. John is restating what he said in ver from verse 9. I'm making sure I'm clear. I'm making sure I'm crystal clear. When you demonstrate hate, you are in darkness. When you love your brother, you abide in the light. One of the popular opinions was honoring God during that time was honoring God and hating people was compatible. But Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And that's hard. It is hard. People would reason during those times that God hates wickedness, and so he hates wicked people. Therefore, I should hate them. But God commands us not to hate people. 
tells us to pray for them. You failing to love only demonstrates you are in darkness. And not only that, John says, you walk in darkness. You live your life in darkness. Your ethical and spiritual life is overtaken. Your life is characterized by consistently walking in the darkness. You are literally following on a course to hell, and you can't see it. And John says, does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Did you know darkness can blind you? You think you are headed in one direction, but you aren't walking with God? And it's scary because you can't even recognize it. It's a blind, darkness has a blinding effect. Hatred affects your entire being. Heard the old adage, misery loves company. People who are hating want other people to hate too. It affects how you respond to people. It blinds us to the truth. Darkness blinds us to the truth, yet think about this. Truth is seen. And you end up stumbling. And you end up having no clue where you are being led because light isn't present. We think we are walking in the light, abiding in the light, yet we are unkind, unloving, outright mean in our actions and our words to others and claim we are doing God's work. But his spirit can change us. And we could start right here as a springboard for reaching out to others in the world. Encourage, spend time, and listen to each other. And you know what this will necessitate? Practicing what you preach. Start with showing love, calling, checking on one another, praying for one another, having one another over for dinner, staying late after church to talk and fellowship. Visit those who are more seasoned after service. Seek someone to get together with. Sacrifice the time. Why? Because love is sacrificial. Defining the commandment, verses 7 through 8, demonstrating the commandment in verses 9 through 11, and lastly, directing the commandment in verses 12 through 14. Living the new commandment isn't just directed toward one individual. It is aimed at the entire church. And the church is made up of different kinds of people. Everyone, get this, is not the same age. They're not the same ethnicity. They're not the same gender. They're not, they don't have the same political views. People are at different life seasons in their walks with Christ. So, fair note, don't expect all believers to always think like you in certain issues, nor be where you are, wherever that is. There are different seasons of maturation as what John will list out below. 
In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, my little children, I am writing these things to you. And he picks up with a similar approach now in verse 12 when he says, I am writing to you, little children. He speaks to his listeners as a whole. The word is a term used when a teacher is referring to his spiritual children. He is writing to you, little children. Why? What's the purpose? Because your sins are forgiven. Your transgressions, your wickedness, your evil deeds against God are forgiven. Forgiveness is the cancellation of a debt. It is displaying love. The wages of sin is death, and you have been released from payment. Your redemption is secure. God has loved you so much, dear children. Your sins have been forgiven. Why? For his name's sake. His name is on the line. Because of who he is, because of who he identifies himself as, and because you are in the light, remember, God has forgiven you of your sins because of his name. Some of us here today need that reminder. Family, God has forgiven you of your sins because of his name. He has the power to forgive sin. And you know what? Don't allow anyone to hold your past sins over your head. At the same time, there are some who refuse to forgive others as if their standards are higher than God's even after after the person has repented. But if God can forgive you of your sin, Surely you can forgive others if you are truly in him. God forgives for the sake of his name. So I ask you, how well are you at forgiving others? Is there someone in your life in whom you need to ask forgiveness? If so, seek them out today. Why? Because you are never more like Christ than when you forgive others. He continues in verse 13, but notice he gets more direct. In the next couple of verses, he addresses three groups within the assembly. He uses family terms to indicate how believers are seen with one another. Fathers, children, and young men. These directions are not just for males, but they include females as well. He first says, fathers. This is a title of respectful address, mature in the faith, older seasoned congregants. Another word is elders. I am writing to you because you know him who is from the beginning. You come to recognize you have a deep, intimate knowledge of him, of God, who is from the beginning. Before time began, the beginning of the world, older seasoned saints who are mature in the faith, I want you to know here today that you are valuable. You have seen him work time and time again in your life. You have been walking with the Lord a long time. You know him who is from the beginning. And next, he goes on. 
I am writing to you young men. This, these are those who are possibly not as advanced in age as the elders, but a relatively young adult, middle age. Why? Because you have overcome the evil one. You've been victorious. The one who has recognized their victory has clearly been won by Christ on their behalf. Now, notice he says the evil one. Evil one refers to the angelic being known as Satan. John 17, 15 says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, Jesus prayed. These are the young who are out amongst the world, perhaps more than the fathers, and they find themselves continuously overcoming the evil one. If you are out amongst the world, guess what? The evil one is coming for you. Or his demons are coming for you. We don't talk a lot about that in churches. There is a real thing as demons. And they're coming for you. He goes on to say, I write to you children, those who are relatively young in the age or in the faith. I write to you because you know the Father. You're learning about God and who he is. You're starting to engage the faith and the struggles that come to it. You have a consciousness of who he is and his fatherhood over you. And as you mature, you will experience a number of trials and hardships that will strengthen your faith. You will find yourselves overcoming the evil one's sin and temptation. It will lead you then to having a deep knowledge and intimacy with God. And in living the new commandment, it is not promised that things will be easy. But it will occur in maturation stages. And as apprentices of Jesus, we must embrace it. Embracing where we are, growing, learning on the way to where we are going. Family, we need to be growing in our faith, growing in our relationship with the Lord. Many people say, oh, I want to grow in Christ. But what am I actively doing to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ? You can start by reading your Bible, reading it with others, praying with others, serving others in need, fasting, spending time with godly people, meditating in a quiet place on God's word. Verse 14, I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. He repeats to add emphasis to remind them from verse 13. However, he takes a different path here, if you see, with the young men before reminding them of what he has said previously. Notice he says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong. He said, y'all are strong? Hmm. It could be physically or spiritually, but notice what he says next, because it is referring to spiritually strong. Why? Look at what he says and the word of God abides in you. Did you catch that? They are spiritually strong because God's word abides in them. 
you become, you and I will become stronger the more we get God's word down in us. God's word is food for the soul. <laughs> you won't go a week, and some of us find it hard to go a few days without eating. The longer you go without eating, the more your body becomes weaker because of the lack of nourishment it isn't receiving. The longer, and more, the longer and more you go without God's word, the weaker you become spiritually due to the lack of food it isn't receiving. Amen. One of the things that I love about coming to this assembly is that we get a healthy dose of God's word. And it may be only for a couple of hours, but God's spirit, it encourages believers to not only to take what they've learned just this maybe couple of hours throughout the week and then go home and get more into it. It encourages you to read God's word, to study God's word, to meditate on it, to delight in it. And it's like that never ending process because you could spend an hour in God's word and be like, dang, I feel like I ain't did nothing. But you recognize how good it is and how it directs your path for life. The longer and more you go without God's word, I've said it before, the weaker you become spiritually to the lack of food it isn't receiving. But John says the, the young men are strong because God's word is inside of them. It is rooted inside of them. You know what? There's nothing like the feeling of finishing something you've trained so hard to do. Many of you have completed college completed marathons, the military, barber school, high school, had a baby. Some of you have raised babies. You made your first jump shot. You got your first job out of, got your little job out of college. Some of you are drive Teslas. Some of you got a job. Some of you playing, playing songs on instruments. All of this in some way have required some type of preparation. You've studied, you spent sleepless nights preparing, you were working out, you were training, you were reading, all in which to reach the goal of either the degree or being offered employment or some other reward at the end. And during those times, now think back with me, during those times, how many of us know we may have had hiccups in the road? We had bumps, we had bruises, we were tired, we had war wounds, but the end result was the same. We achieved what we set out to do. We got the necessary instructions to achieve and have victory at the end. Why am I saying all of this? Because the Christian life is a journey. You go through, you're going to go through bumps. You're going to have bruises. You're going to go through hardships. And you're going to go back to the drawing board. 
Back to your training manual. Back so you can readjust so that you can reach the end goal. Of hearing, well done, thy good and faithful servant. The reward is Christ. Have you ever noticed, even if you read 2 Timothy, the name of the game is not, oh, I got to do this in order to make it to heaven. The name of the game is faithfulness. And you see Paul at the end of his journey in 2 Timothy talk about his faithfulness. There are so many times where we're so tempted to throw in the towel and give up. It's like, Lord, keep me day by day. Help me to be faithful. So many people walk out on marriages. Where's the faithfulness? I'm going to be with you through thick and thin. I'm going to finish what I set out to do. And we need to have that same faithfulness toward our Lord. Lord, I'm going to be with you no matter what. And guess what? When you cry out to him, he's going to give you the strength and the faith to do it. You need to cry out to him. The reward is Christ. The victory is you dwelling with the one who defeated Satan. You're going to roll with the creator of the world. And the only way you are, you are going to be able to be strengthened for this life is that you have to have enough of this manual dwelling inside of you. Word of God abides in you. And John finishes with this, and you have overcome the evil one. You have victory over Satan. He reminds them of this, and we need that reminder as well. In Christ, Satan is defeated. It don't matter what happens to you in this world except what God allows. And guess what? When you love Christ, when you love God, you know the hardships that you face. God is only using that to prune you and make you stronger. You know the end of the story. There's no questions about it. Because Christ has had the victory, so do, so do those who believe and trust in him. And what's the motivation for all of this? Love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes, you got it, John, <laughs> shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Hallelujah. How might our lives change today if we seek out opportunities to love and serve others? How might this world be changed if believers were marked more by love? Guess what? Christ can show us the way. He can give us help to live the gospel when we call out to him today. John has given us a, blue, a blueprint by defining the commandment, demonstrating the commandment, and directing the commandment. And this commandment wasn't simply for the church then. This is for the church now. Knowing about God is a wonderful thing. It is fantastic to be able to recite truths about God, to know his word, to be able to read solid books about God, to go to conferences and to think about penal substitutionary atonement. I'm saying that three times fast. We can give ourselves pats on the back for saying Jesus' name today. Feel cool, right? The question is, are we living the new commandment? Has the life of Jesus impacted 
your life in a way that you want to walk as he walked, care as he cared, and love as he loved. There's no believer in this room who has not had the opportunity to love and serve someone else because the opportunities are endless. And Jesus is our model for living the new commandment because he's shown us the way. The world is going to continue to look for love in all the wrong places. God is going to, God has shown us love through Christ. And now let us heed the wisdom from James and the Apostle Paul. We close with this. You believe that God is one. You do well. Guess what? Even the demons believe and shudder. In other words, yes, you say you believe in God. That's great. That's good. But the demons know this truth. However, true knowledge leads to action. And as the Apostle Paul reminds us, Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Who can you and I love today? Let us pray. Father, we do thank you today for your word. Father, we can't make light of how hard it is to love other people. Loving is hard, but Lord, you have shown us because you have loved us. We've done so, so many things against you, but yet you still have sacrificed your son to die on the cross for our sins. May that resonate with everyone here today. And if there is someone here who does not know you today, who have have not submitted their life in complete submission to you, would you work now? May today be the day of salvation for someone, turning their life to Jesus Christ, turning their life all in all, submitting their life as a sacrifice unto you. And Lord, for those of us who are believers, would you help us to love Help us to love others. Help us as we go throughout our week. Grant us opportunities to love others, to serve other people, to serve those who are less fortunate than us by not only sharing the truth of the gospel with them, but also providing for their needs if needed. We thank you for today, O Lord. In Christ's name, amen. Now it is time, as we customarily do, for us to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning because we recognize that Christ took the wrath, the judgment of God that we deserve. Christ intended for this Lord's Supper to be celebrated by local churches of baptized men and women who have placed their faith in the death, resurrection, and return of Jesus Christ. However, if you are not a member of Temple Hills Baptist Church, but are a baptized member 
in good standing of another church that preaches the same gospel you have heard this morning, you invi we invite you to join us in this celebration. But it comes with a warning. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says this, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without discerning the, Lord, discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Part of Paul, what Paul means here is that the supper is for those who recognize the spiritual realities be behind the symbols of bread and wine, that is, who are Christians. And if you are not a Christian here today, no need to be embarrassed. We just ask that you do not partake of the elements. Our prayer is that at this time, in the very near future, that you will be able to participate, us, participate with us, having confessed your sins and giving your life to Christ. And also in that way, use this time to consider your standing with God now. What's keeping you away from him and keeping you from being able to celebrate the Lord's Supper with us today? We'd be happy to talk with you after service about that. Now we will dispense of the elements as we think and meditate right now about what the Lord has done for us.
Lord's word says this, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and, we had, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us take the wafer and eat together. The Apostle Paul continues, in the same way also, Jesus took the cup after supper and saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This juice represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, but Jesus shed his blood to wipe away all our sins and grant us salvation through his death. Let us drink to together as we remember his sacrifice. Amen. Amen. You may stand.
I surrender. I surrender all. I surrender. I surrender all. All to thee. All to thee. joining us today and as we close uh, reach out to someone who you may not normally talk to a lot of times in the church we show partiality we go to the people that we comfortable with so there's someone that you don't know we encourage you to, to reach out to them as well but our closing from June now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Let everyone say, Amen. 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 You may be dismissed.